Welcome back, everyone, to the uh, third episode of A Zoom with a View. I'm Sami Andrews, CEO of DB8 Digital. And I'm Cliff Fleury, a partner at Lewis Silkin, and I run an advisory firm called Eleven. And I'm Stuart Dredge. I am the editor at Music Ally and uh, freelance writer about town. And today, off the back of our uh, episode last week, uh, we have two very special guests with us. Um, we have uh, Roxanne DeBastian and Tom Gray, both incredible music industry executives, and very specifically have been at the forefront of uh, the broken record um, big streaming campaigns that we spoke about a little bit last week, um, and the announcement of a DCMS inquiry, which was a serious mic job um, from the UK Parliament here. But just before we dig into that, I'm going to ask these two incredible guests to introduce themselves. So, Tom, if we could start with you, please. Uh, I'm Tom Gray. I am a um, somewhat uh, articulate northern gobshite. I, um, I was in a band called Gomez uh, in my childhood. It robbed my childhood. I still hold that against them. I... Uh, I, uh, I won a Mercury Prize at some point as well. Sold a couple of million records and stuff like that. Um, uh, these days I compose for, for TV and film and I'm working on a stage musical at the moment. And I'm a director of PRS and I'm a director of the Ivers Academy. And I think I'm still a writer advocate for the FAC, but they don't call me as often. But I, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm not sure at this point how many job titles I have. So. If I have, if I've got another one, I, I, while we're talking, I'll let you know. Lovely, thank you, Tom. And uh, Roxanne, if we could introduce yourself as well, please. Sure. My name's Roxanne Sebastian. I'm an independent singer-songwriter. Um, I'm. Uh, I've just finished my second album, and I'm waiting for my Mercury Prize. And I'm a board director at um, the FAC, and vow to call Tom more often. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also. I'm also. Um, a performer board director at PPL. Lovely. Well, I mean, thank you first of all so much for, for joining us, both of you. Um, we had such a good reaction last week when we just touched on this and we just thought rather than as wildly speculating that it might be good to get people in here that are really impacted and involved. And I mean, Tom, especially, I mean, you founded Broken Record, which is exactly why I'm coming to you first with this question. Um, who was in your sights when you started this? Because it's not just about the DSPs, is it? Although it's misconstrued as that a lot online. It's labels, I mean, it's black box, it's, it's leaky pipes, it's everything. So, I mean, uh, without wanting to jump right in the deep end, can you give us sort of a, a wide overview of that, please? Wow, okay. A <laughs> uh, little question there. Um, uh, <laughs> I... Uh, it started, I mean, these problems have been around for years and I've been talking about these problems for a long time, which is why it's called Broken Record, because it's old news. It just fitted the bill well to say it was a broken record and it's a broken record industry. Um, but obviously COVID completely altered the context. And I, was, I, I felt kind of, um, not uniquely placed, but um, certainly well placed, um, to have an overview of the whole thing. I spent 15 years as a touring musician, maybe longer actually, probably close to 20 years, 
touring constantly. Um, I am a songwriter by trade. Um, I, you know, I could see what was happening. I could see the way the money was dropping out of the entire industry. I could see the way that licensing income was going to collapse. I could see all of these things sort of lining up to make a perfect mess and thought, well, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, let's, get, let's have this conversation again because the only thing that's going to be a steady income here, and in fact, it's not going to be a steady income, it's going to go up. Uh, money in streaming is going to go up. People are staying more time in their houses. They're going to be accessing those services more. And it's the one area where artists and performers have always been un unhappy. Um, uh, you, get, you get performers who are much younger now who've never known it any different. And, and also there are some artists who do make a success out of streaming. And it's really important to say that. They tend to be fully independent. They tend to be solo. They tend to work in a specific genre. Um, but most other artists um, really struggle with it and are unhappy about it. Now, um, because I had a history, should I say a history? Yeah, a history of, of working in politics and was you know, go, going into politics earlier in my life before I signed a record deal with my mates from home. And a lot of the guys who I you know, came through Labour Party with in my youth would end up being in the shadow cabinet and in the cabinet and people, varying people like that. I'm still very connected to those people. They're people I grew up with. I don't really think of myself as being particularly a political person, especially, but I am a, I am a, I've always been a Labour Party member since I was a kid. And I just thought, well, I'll just start hassling them all about it. And not only will I talk about this on social media, and, and, and I'm lucky enough to have built up a big group of friends and a big network of, 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 of pretty influential and cool people that I know in the world, who are even outside of the music industry, luckily, and and I thought, well, I can I can I can do this, and there's probably an opportunity here to start a conversation while everyone's trapped in their houses, and they can think about this stuff because whenever we normally had time to go, oh, well, let's actually sit down and think about the economics of the music business, and so I went for it and harassed everyone who was on that DCMS select committee from almost the first tweet, maybe the second tweet, I started copying them all on everything. And, and then if I didn't copy them on him, I'd put them on a reply and, and so on and so forth. Um, worked very closely with Kevin Brown, who's on that committee as well. Um, and yeah, what's it about? Okay, I feel like I've, I've monologued enough, but I'll get to the point eventually. What's it about? It's about the whole thing. It's, it's about the contract situation most artists find themselves in and the way that interacts with the streaming system. And it's a little bit more of a complicated story to tell, but I don't think it's that hard to tell. And once you get into it, it's like, well, we, we can do this. We can talk about the fact that artists aren't getting a big cut of their deals and uh, 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 that little cut they get is set against a debt in a, in a really unethical way. And their label is doing deals with the streaming service that mean they can cook, cook it so that they can keep all of the cash in marketing and use that, use that to keep their tracks at the top of every playlist and can keep feeding that machine for themselves. And, 
and artists are at the bottom of this pile. And um, it's about a market failure. It's about uh, big corporations, slowly but surely, the slow pace, the slow movement towards sort of monstering and eating up all of our rights. Uh, it's, it's about the land grab that has been going on and the historic, the historic exploitation of artists. Brilliant. Well, Tom, are we going to come back to most of those subjects? Because that's a brilliant scene setter. Um, I've got a question for Roxanne, really. Um, one of the things that made me smile was when the uh, inquiry was announced, and I think it took a few people by surprise. What amused me was that everyone welcomed it. So well done, Tom. But and one wondered whether or not that welcome came through gritted teeth or not. But Roxanne, you know, yes, you are on the form board. Yes, you are a key member of the FAC board. But, you know, actually, this is a Zoom with a view. This is about personal views from people who really know. And first and foremost, you are an artist. That's how you introduce yourself. You're an independent artist. What do you as an independent artist welcome most about this debate, if anything? What I welcome most about this debate is that it is a debate that invites artists and fans to actually participate. Because I think, kind of as Tom alluded to as well, part of the issue here is that all, like the lay of the land with all its definitions um, and all its jargon, these were all decisions made without thinking to consult creators, probably by design. But so for me as an artist, it's all of it is learning by doing. You know, no one starts making music because they think, oh, I can collect royalties on this, <laughs> you know. Um, so bit by bit, you try and understand how everything works, especially as an independent artist when you're forced to because there's no one else to do that for you. Um, and then you just start to realize how antiquated some of the structures are. Particularly, it, I think it's remarkable how slow the music industry is, always is to react to anything instead of just looking at, from my point of view, the very sort of logical end conclusion to some of these trends, like we know where we're heading and yet we're just not gonna address it. As in with streaming, we're not gonna, you know, that's, there's no moving backwards. There's a clear direction of travel for radio to become more like streaming and for streaming to become more like radio. And yet we have these things like making available rights that just aren't, that just don't work anymore. Well said. <laughs> That's I mean, well, I suppose we're going to kind of get through all these things one by one, I think, over, over the course of this podcast. But one thing I, I suppose I wanted to ask quite early is, kind of comes back to your point, Tom, about this idea of it's, it's not one story, it's not streaming is bad, labels are bad, it's like a lot of different intersecting things. Is there, is one concern that a parliamentary inquiry can end up chasing down one alley and ignore the others or go off on a tangent. How, like, how do you feel, do you think it's gonna be possible to kind of get this nuance in and get that discussed rather than, I think was it last week on the show, I think Mark says like politicians tend to go, what's the one thing we can do for your industry? And they look at one, one thing. So how, how are you kind of, how are you- Well, let's give them one thing to do then. Let's give them one thing to do, Stuart. I mean, that's- Fix it. I mean, yeah, yeah, fix it lads, ladies, come on. Um, the, um, the, the, uh, the, the, the simple thing is, is that, that it's in the licensing. It's in the licensing. 
So, it, it, you know, you go, well, how complicated? I look, nuance could definitely get lost in this. And I think if nuance does get lost, it's because the wrong witnesses get heard. And the major reason why that's likely to happen is because the major labels will make sure that, they, that, that the good ones don't get in. Because um, the BPI will be spending most of the money they've got on making sure of that at the moment. So, so I, you know, it's, 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 it's the nuance that we have is can we get the right, can we get the right people to speak in the room at the right time? And if those people do speak, will the narrative become clear? Yes, the narrative will become clear. The narrative is bloody clear. It's like nobody knows where the money goes. You know, it's not like, a, it's not like, it's that complicated and these these companies aren't held to any account and artists can't audit them to find out where the money's going even though it's written in their contracts that they can audit them they can't audit them and 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 if they do manage to have enough power to audit them they uh run up against ndas um which mean that they can't tell any other artists um, where all the money's going if they find out. It, it's, a, it's a horror show. Um, so, you know, if MPs figure out by the end of it, they go, wait a minute. So these people have a contract that says they're allowed to audit these companies and they can't audit them. Right, there's a problem. Right, should we, should we sort that out? Weird that, because the EU were just trying to sort that out, weren't they? It's like they wrote that in a big document called the Copyright Directive already. It's like somebody already looked at this problem and went, eh, that's weird. Let's stop that from happening anymore. And, you know, uh, the, 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 the rate that Spotify is, is the, the way that the downward, constant downward trend of the amount of money that they're paying. I mean, it's gone down every year except one since inception and is that a sustainable model i don't know it seems unlikely to be a sustainable model uh, to me it's like well the value's gone down it's in fact it's much worse than that the value of the value of streaming the per, pro rata rate in 2011 was about 0 0.0075 of a dollar and now it's about 0 0.0038 it's almost exactly half but in that same period of time, the value of money has gone down by about 20%. So it's actually more than half, less, it's less than half what we're actually being paid from 2011. That's really problematic. And it's ridiculous that anybody thinks that's not problematic. Of course it's problematic. Especially just, just on the devaluing, Tom, just specifically on the devaluing. So there's a lot of people talking about streaming servers not having raised their prices whatsoever. Yeah. Um, is there any evidence that would support the fact that, that we would add more value if, if we were to raise prices across, across all streaming services? And I think we have to be careful also in this, not always to say the word Spotify, the, the music industry do it consistently, but we're not, this is not just a discussion about Spotify, but oh, is, is there evidence in, in raising, raising there's two key points here. Spotify is a third of the streaming business. It is by far the global leader in it by a country mile. There's only France that has Deezer, where Deezer, whereas as a company, I think that's bigger than them. So 
Yeah, whenever I say Spotify, I mean all streaming. Let's just take that as red. But that should, that the, should be the, a footnote the, at the end of every article <laughs> ever, I think. Although, although, actually, although, to be fair, the relationship that Spotify has with the major labels is way more dark and confusing than the other streaming services. Let's be honest about that as well. I mean, they're partly owned by Universal. They partly are owned by Tencent, who Tencent partly owns Universal and uh, one other part of Tencent owns parts of Warner's and Sony and, and vice versa. And, and, and this sort of diagram of inter-ownership amongst all of those companies means, are they different entities? I don't know. They sort of are. Um, but anyway, that's an aside. The, 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 I, I could, I could, the problem with me I, is I, see, I, I feel like we should put a... all day. Oh, on on that one, I mean, I feel like in the description on this video that we should put up a link to the diagram that you're talking about from Cherie Hughes. It's it's quite an interesting diagram as a reference point. So, and it, yeah. the, the the cost of streaming uh, subscription. Um, the cost of streaming, yes, it should, it can, and probably should go up in in price. Um, but only if that money goes directly to artists, performers, and cre uh, and creators. You know, I just did some polling with YouGov and um just it just landed just as the the, the committee got um announced um and it was it, it wasn't really interesting that that subscribers um when asked if they'd pay more if their money went directly to who they listen to which which it, it, i'm sure you, you it's it's sort of implicit there that we mean a user-centric system and um, that if their money went directly to the artists that they listen to they'd be happy to pay more um, and that's a really interesting thing because, you know, we've always thought about, sorry, I'm going off on another complete whim here. I apologize. User centrics, because um, it's, it's not about, user centrics isn't about sorting about the re remuneration problem. It's about reattaching the sort of consumer with the music that they listen to and, and rebuilding that, those, those rights between these are the choices I make and this is what gets paid. And I think that's why it's such a convincing thing irrespective of the way that the money falls. Um, but it's really interesting that actually, if you introduce it and you introduce it for the right reasons, you tell people why you're doing it, there's a very good chance that they'd be happy to support it with their wallets as well. And that's a bit of a change to the conversation, I think. Um, but um, so I forget what I was saying. Am I worried about the inquiry going getting diverted? I mean, if they let me talk, it'll definitely get diverted because I'll be talking <laughs> about 3,000 different things at the same time. All the plates will be spinning and they won't know which one to catch. So I hope you're right, Stuart, and uh, right, or you're wrong, Stuart, and I'm wrong, and, and they, will, uh, they will figure it all out and know that there's one thing to do. But I think what we're going to do is, if we're sensible, is just ask for one thing because you're right. And I think it's something to do with licensing. It's either, it's either streaming was always a license, everybody. We all know it. It's, it's not a reproduction. How do you do a licensing deal and it turns into a reproduction somewhere on the way back to me? How did that happen? How did you pull that trick off? Um, which is, I don't know if I need to explain that to people who are listening, but maybe you I can. We'll, we'll come back to that one, Tom, because I think that's a, that's a big other, one. Or, or there's the other alternative, which is, as, as absolutely as Roxanne was alluding to, um, everything that is being pushed to you from a streaming service that is being chosen for you, for you algorithmically, like radio, should pay like communications to the public and should be paid out through the CMOs. And at the moment, that's 30% of Spotify 
and around 25% of all the other streaming services. So, yeah, and then that money would go direct out. That would be a two-thirds, if, that, if they didn't reduce that in any way and we got, you know, managed to keep all of that cash, that would be a two-thirds pay increase for songwriters. That would be a 100% pay rise for performers because they don't get any payment whatsoever through streaming. And artists would start being paid directly as well because most people's contracts have the equitable remuneration part as a direct payment that can't be kept against their recoupment debt. Yeah, should I give a little bit of uh, for our listeners as well um, to explain that? So, for example, you catch um, a breath. <laughs> well, well, Tom catches a breath, and we we get we get Roxanne ready for a curveball. Um, a key difference is that streaming services deals are done direct with labels, whereas uh, broadcasters and public performance of sound recordings go via CMOs. Um, such as PPL or even in the US people like Sound Exchange in the digital world. And the core difference with regard to a PPL payment is that actually there's something called equitable remuneration, which essentially means that one half of the monies being equitable goes direct to the performers. Um, and Roxanne is an advocate of those performers on the PPL borders, uh, on the performer board. Um, whereas under streaming contracts, the deals are direct with the labels and all the money goes from the streaming entity to the labels. So one of the things that people often talk about is artists saying, I don't get great payment from labels. Actually, most, sorry, from DSPs, very few artists are signed direct to a DSP. They will always go through a third party, usually a label, but not always if in terms of an aggregator. And that's one of the things I think that the lens that Tom's been trying to cast onto this, which is, well, what's the difference, right? Is that a good summary? That's, that's very good. Perfect. So Roxanne, I just just to sort of come back to these contracts that we've talked about as well, because you know, the broken record campaign has taken it from just pure Spotify bashing, which is what the noble sport used to be, um, and now giving everyone an equal kicking. Um, let's talk about you know sort of um, you run a conference call from me to you, which is about um, aspiring artists and independent artists and people forging their own way outside of the the, the label system. Tell us, I mean, you know, what deals, you know, would be ideal for you with regard to things like ownership of masters, how monies are split, how advances are treated. I mean, if you can give us a sense as to what you think these days would represent an ideal deal now that all of these unmentionables are now up for discussion. <laughs> okay, ready for my curveball. Um, so the whole, the whole point of From Me To You was to have a space um, where we could discuss all these topics, but from an artist's point of view, because this is changing and it's definitely changed since I've started From Me Too, but at the beginning when I started going to traditional music industry events, if there was a musician on the panel, it very much kind of felt like an afterthought, like, and now let's see what the musician has to say. Um, I think, okay, I'm gonna be the voice of optimism here. It's, um, it's a great time to make music and to be an artist because there are so many more avenues to go down and there are so many more um, tools at your disposal. So I think the key, and this is why the FAC is important, the key is to educate artists, A, as to how all this stuff works, because how on earth is anyone supposed to know? And then just so that the artist can decide and stay in charge, well, you know, just so the artist can, has a good basis to form these decisions as to how much they want to give away, who they want to work with, etc. cetera. Um, 
when I first sort of came to understand how traditional label deals work, I, I thought it was ludicrous, ludicrous. Um, Tom, you're really, I saw an in, like an interview with you where you were explaining um, just, just how, how um, oh, what's the word? Um, the recruitment deal works. And it's it, any other business to explain how the music industry and their deals work to any other field is, that's a fun conversation. Um, it's quite it's quite unique in how shit it is <laughs> for artists um now i'm answering this question from a point of view of i've never been offered a record deal so i you know i've never had i've never signed one of these things so i, I don't know um so i own all of my rights um and oh, i think in an ideal scenario you license your rights you don't sign them away that's sort of that's lesson number one but i think generally that's been the trend anyway right sort of in germany roxanne you can't you can only do a license that's the law pardon in germany you can only do a license you can't actually get rid of your copyright yeah which i think is great let's do the german thing I'm well off. too bad we're taking back control <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah um we were so, gonna get it until you said europe did it tom <laughs> sorry but uh oh i was i was gonna add something to what do i think is what do i think is ideal even if you so I, i'm sort of still i have a fan base that do all the things you'd want them to do like they buy the deluxe vinyl they buy tickets they're a small group of people, but they do all those good things. They don't listen to my music on Spotify. This is somewhat a genre thing. And this is also this sort of independent music thing. Some of my fans don't listen, don't use Spotify because, because they want to support artists and they feel it's, that's not the way to, to do it. Now, I know it's almost like you're constantly trying to juggle these two worlds because I've had labeled labels and managers and booking agents pass on me specifically saying you really need to work on your spotify stats and they don't say streaming stats they do say spotify stats so now this is in itself is nothing new before that it was well how many facebook likes have you got i'm not sure how many MySpace why. friends pardon how many myspace friends we can all date ourselves can't we i remember it's you i remember <laughs> but um I don't know why the industry is always so obsessed with like the cool new shiny thing and the numbers of that cool new shiny thing. Now I've reached a point where I refuse to spend time and energy and also therefore money on getting my functioning fan base to migrate onto this other platform. Where Where's the benefit of that to me? So again, I think it just comes back to educating artists, really making sure they understand where they want to go in their career and what, what the stepping stones are to that and the the ball is in their court as to how they want to build their career does that answer the question yeah well one thing we were talking about one reason we were asking that was i, I don't think it's two separate issues they're linked like one is i guess contracts in the past kind of going back to black artists in the 60s and 70s on awful awful terrible deals through to like the 80s and 90s and the cd era and the deals then that you kind of you went through to tom and other and fixing the historic problems but then looking at today what's happening with deals today are, are, we, are things more positive as young artists are there more young artists who are choosing the independent route and doing well 
are artists going to label deals with a bit more leverage or are labels coming, are independent labels starting to offer fairer deals? Like, are you feeling positive about the, the new deals that are being signed today, I guess? Or are they still? It's interesting that like the best practice indie deal is still not great. Like, really? you know, that like 50-50, is it 50-50 split recruitment usually still? Mm. So, I mean, that's progress. profits. Of, of profits, right. Um, so I think it's generally heading in the right direction. Um, I think, look, the standard record deal is basically being signed every day still. It's not, so let's not be deluded about this. It's still happening. Here's what's happened. The independent sector has grown around the majors, right? Which, if you're going to use percentages, is very will fool you a million times over because, because you're going, wait a minute, well look, look at all of this incredible quantity of independent inventory sitting on the streaming services. It's just, no one's listening to it. No one's listening to it. There's millions and millions of tracks. I, I forget what the percentage is of tracks that have only been listened to once on Spotify. It's insane. And, and, and the point is, is that, because everybody can record music at home, Everyone can get on DistroKid and pay their 50 bucks and be a rock star for the day. And that's great, and that's fine, and that's right. But let's be clear, there's, 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 it, we are going right through the spectrum from people who are doing this, you know, as a fully independent artist like Roxanne, who are like, they're managing their own careers, doing this. But then there's just millions of people who, they're not really artists. They're not, this isn't really what they're doing. This isn't really their thing. So. When we're looking at the inventory of music that's independent, I think there's an awful lot of false statistics built baked into that, you know, that is just nonsense. So there was actually a stat at Medium this year that the head of SoundCloud was talking. He said, I think they have 25 million creators on their platform. And I think I'll check it. Again. He said that over 12 million of those get heard every month, which kind of said more than half, no one listens to them at all. And it was kind of quite a telling stat, I think, that no one would normally talk about. But what's worse than that, Stuart, is how many of the 12 million are people checking out their own tracks on SoundCloud? <laughs> um, that's, yeah. And that's the truth. Or oh, how so, many are album the, samplers that are being sent around the industry on SoundCloud <laughs> is also being... <laughs> so, look, that's all... That's it. The deal is, right, I think something like the major labels only own a sixth of the total inventory of music or something like that. Someone was telling me the other day, he was correcting me correctly over this. And he said that sixth of the inventory is major labels. Now, a sixth of the inventory is major labels, but they keep 70% of the money, right? So one in six records are owned by them, but they make seven out of every 10 quid that's in the system. How are they doing that? It's weird, isn't it? It's almost like most of the music that people are listening to is owned by the major labels. Oh, wait a minute. Let's look at the, let's look at the UK top 50. Every single week, 85, between 80 and 90% of the top 50 is major label music. How are they doing that? How is it being done? Is it, are they just much better at, 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 at everything? Can they, can they juggle as well? I mean, is it, what, what? <laughs> I've got a stat on that too, actually. There was an alpha data who this US analytics company, I think they said in September, 1% uh, of artists account for 90% of streams. Yeah. Uh, and I think the top 10% top are 99.4%. So yeah, like it's really concentrated, isn't it? 
it's super concentrated. And of those artists, the vast majority of them are in major label deals, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that's what's happening. And that's, and that's why, you know, I don't mind. I, it, it's quite funny when I get sort of like shot at, I mean, I've been shot at a lot um, by people who sort of work in the independent sector and, and, you know, especially companies that kind of are trying to engage in getting young people. I've seen the Twitter arguments, put, Tom. I've seen the Twitter arguments. Seen, yeah. Who are trying to get young kids to just stick their work online and hope for the best and pay to use their systems and stuff. And, and I'm like, obviously, this is all really great. This is a wonderful democratization of and an and access for people who want to do whatever they want. And that's absolutely great. But let's not pretend that these people are in the, you know, at the coalface of, of the industry and, and where the big deals and the big money's being made. And even the big, the, one of the biggest problems we have is the fact that we've almost complete, I mean, like I even started off when I started Broken Cut Record, I mentioned it a bit and it's the loss of the middle class in, in music that is terrifying because, you know, there aren't, they're not enough artists who are making enough money from their recorded music to pay their rent or pay for their mortgage or whatever. And that is the thing that really worries me. Because like, if, if everybody has to stay on the road forever, it, we're not gonna have a music business. It, it's just, it's impossible, you know? And there's, there's only a certain amount of your life that you can do that. And I was on that bus, you know what I mean? I rode that bus for yeah. a long time. You know, I had years where I played over 250 shows in a year and, you know, and did very, very well. But at a certain point, you've got to put your feet up, <laughs> especially if people like your music, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people like your music. If hundreds of thousands of people dig what you do, be it bloody origami, you ought to be able to make a living from it, right? You ought to be able to pay the rent. So something's wrong fundamentally where you have to be a 50 million artist to be making the proper money. There's something, we built a system that has disenfranchised um, working artists, you know, and, and that, I just think it's really bad for culture, if nothing else. Well, just even even on that, so I mean, we, we touched on it earlier slightly on on user centric and whether that is a sustainable, you know, is that a sustainable alternative? What what are the what are the issues around it? We know that you know there are DSPs that are championing it. We know that there are labels not so keen. We know that there are tests in progress. We know that there are reports on it i mean realistically is is user centric ever likely to happen and i guess well, what are the what are the main benefits as you see it tom that's for you um as i said earlier i think one of the big benefits of use of user centric is is reattaching the consumer with their music um i think if you rebuild that relationship uh in the in the central financial trans transaction of streaming 
it starts to make it a lot easier to start developing the other relationships within streaming, like like um, buying tickets from artists and 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 I don't know tying in their Patreons into streaming and doing all the other stuff because there's a sort of you, you're creating a, a direct channel of finance between the and you're saying you know, when you listen to this person, this amount of your money is going to them. That's what we're going to do. Most, most consumers think that's what's happening anyway, but uh, are, are delusional. The, 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 that, I think, is really great. Now, um, and as I said, it, it, it might mean that they're happier to pay more for it if they know that it's happening. And, well, part of it is telling them the story of the fact that it's not happening, so they, when they find out that it is happening. That was one of the fascinating things, Tom, sorry to interrupt, though. When I, when... Broken Record was really kicking off. One of the most interesting things that I saw was actually the consumer, our, our fan engagement going, what do you mean that wasn't fucking happening already? Be because it, why would they think that it, that it wasn't? And that was a real, I think, turning point actually in, in your campaign on, on actual fans going, what? <laughs> this, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I've been, re I mean, it's... I don't feel bad about it. I've used user-centric as a, as a campaigning tool. It, it doesn't sort the remuneration problem out. But it does, I tell you what, something that it does, it might really help the middle class because in some ways, it, what, it, what it definitely does is help people who have like subscribers, not people who listen to you, but it, people who are like subscribed listeners, like artists who have like a fan, people who come back again and again and again. Those people do better out of user-centric. So that's interesting. Um, um, is it likely Deezer have tried very hard? I, I spoke at length with um, Louis Alexis Chemini, who is the I think the chief exec of 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 of, of uh, Deezer in France, and uh, I get on with great with lovely man, um, and they just can't get there. And well, why do we think they I'm can't get there, Tom? What what do we think is holding them back? <laughs> One, one or other of the major labels has stopped them in their tracks. And that's, it's as simple as that. I don't know which one. Well, I do, but I'm not going to say, am I? <laughs> um, and, 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 <laughs> and that, so that's, and, and, and that was even with like help from the French government who got really excited about it and were really interested in it because one of the other key benefits of user centric is that it definitely helps fund regional music. Um, and if you're looking for the culprit major label, find out which one of them owns the least French music, and I reckon that's probably the one. Um, if you want to sniff, if you want to sniff it out for yourself, is is that um, the problem with 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 some noise venture? Because like it kind of falls down if one big player can jam it, can't they? I guess, and and it could be a big collection. So like, I, I like even I think some today even no one know, quite knows what it means. That's why we need a trial to understand it. But well, if one person can jam it. That how on earth do, does it happen? Like what what's needed? Do you think to kind of make it? Push but talk about that. a thing that talk about a thing that reinforces that the whole system is a licensing system. Mm -hmm. It's this right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unless you have the license for one of the companies that own like fifteen percent of the music in the world or thirty percent of the music, um, um, well not in the world but of the music that's making any money, um, then 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 you have to, you can't do it because you you're going to lose 15 percent of your business and that uh, because it is a license but it's a licensed business you know if if it was like supermarkets 
it wouldn't be like, you know what, we're going to take our chickens out of your supermarket because we don't like the lighting, you know. It's just ridiculous. And yet that's, that is the, the world that we're in. It isn't where they just have to make it available to whoever wants to sell it, um, which frankly would be amazing, wouldn't it, if they were forced to do that. You've just got to, you've just got to you know, just sell your stuff, everybody. Um, because there are some really brilliant, I mean, like, I'm Cliff will talk to this. Um, there have been some incredible startups over the years who've had better solutions to streaming, better ways of doing it, but can't get there. Because, why? Because of the stranglehold over the existing streaming systems by the major labels. It's a fact. There's no other reason for it. We're not going to get an alternative, and it's why we haven't got the elect we didn't get the electric car or whatever else, you know what I mean? It's big corporations standing in the way of progress. Simple as that. Well, look, speaking of um, let's let's do we've done a bit of label bashing. Now let's go back to the noble <laughs> art of streaming bashing. Um, Roxanne, um, Stuart nearly got Daniel Eck to break the internet when he seemed to suggest that really that um, well, he's had a few things actually. He said that it's not really in any artist's interest to speak up who are doing well out of it. But also there seemed to be, some people inferred at least, that he was saying that it's up to artists to adapt to streaming in their cycle of releases. And that actually, just because the playlist model doesn't fit the album one, that means that artists need to adapt and it needs to be a continuous cycle and a continuous engagement. And most of the artists on my socials went bonkers. And it's the first time I've written an article where someone in REM has told someone to go fuck themselves on Twitter, <laughs> and it was my fault. <laughs> You've got Mike Mills to get very, very sweary um, on, on that point, as it were. But actually, Roxanne, playing devil's advocate, as lawyers are allowed to do, did you have a point? I mean, you know, uh, for me to you, you guys were very, very much talking about... Um, you know, having to have that continuous touch point and have a different cycle and lots of managers and labels I speak to basically say this is necessary. Your thoughts? I mean, it came across badly, didn't it? It came across like really arrogant. Are you and blaming the editing? I blame the editor, yeah. <laughs> um, I... I, this is my issue. So part of my issue is that what Spotify is sort of selling itself as it, it's not what they are and what they are I mean as a user I love using Spotify all the music you could possibly want for $9.99 what's not to like um, but so many of my artist friends who have uh, you know um, earnest careers, earnest album careers, have reached a point when they're like, so I think it's just being next to Sammy on this stream, but I feel a bit more sweary today. Yeah, like, sorry about they, that. I have that effect on people. I can't explain it. <laughs> they, all, they all reach a point where they're like, fuck it, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna write and release soft piano music to fall asleep to. You know, so much of the most successful music on Spotify is for passive lis listening is you know music to make your baby be quiet or um yeah music to fall asleep to or literally silence you know that was a good stunt early on from that band just racking up streams of wolf pack wasn't it i think mm. yeah i'm not sure but yes i'm gonna say yes um but to answer your question i think he had he had more of a point than it, it very much kind of got drowned in 
the, the tone. To a certain degree, independent artists are, you know, we're so used to making things work when every, all the odds are stacked against us anyway. We're used to having to like pivot, which is why so many artists who work independently are doing really cool, innovative, innovative stuff now throughout this sort of pandemic. Um, it's that it's it has influenced release cycles, hasn't it? It's already for so many artists they've got an album, so the album still exists. But by the time it comes out each single track has already been released as a single. That's not what I choose to do for my music. I don't inherently have a problem. I don't have, I don't even have a problem with Spotify saying our platform works best for this type of model, but it becomes an issue when that is sold as the only way and the new way to do things and not acknowledging that there are a myriad of other avenues you can go down to build a, an artist career. I mean, that's one of the things I, I feel about, because that interview was like just a transcript, basically. Like there was no messing around with these quotes or chopping it up to make it. That's what but you're saying now, Stuart. I, it's true, it's true. I'm an honest journalist, There's, those things do exist. But like, well, I had seven minutes and I think actually if we carried on talking, I would have asked that and he would have probably said, I'm not saying this is the only way. Because I feel like, like almost since that not, Amid this, this crisis, it wasn't the interviews part, it was the crisis. I feel like people have been talking about, for example, Bandcamp as the anti-Spotify, and that's getting a lot of press inches saying, actually, Bandcamp is a thing for musicians. There's a lot of stuff about Twitch and Patreon, all these things. I feel like maybe this stuff is getting its moment in the spotlight too. And, and artists who are using it, their success stories are coming out. Like there is almost a message of, Actually, I think the thing that really pissed me off was like, there was a comment about you need to work hard and the implication was that if you weren't succeeding in streaming, you weren't working hard. But actually a lot of artists are working really hard and, and doing well, but it's maybe not, like you said, your numbers on Spotify aren't reflecting how hard you're working and what you're doing. And then, yeah, sorry, you speak, sorry. It's not built for me in that sense. It doesn't work for me. And yet I'm expected to fit into that, into that mold. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And then, so this is like a bit of a wider point, but I'm just, I'm so tired of us being told that what we do is a hobby and not important. And, you know. Well, like Fatima, like Fatima. Yeah, yeah, you know, retraining, upskilling, reskilling. Mm. Here's cyber's really, really good to get into at this moment. <laughs> is this not us doing cyber? Are we, are we doing that? <laughs> <laughs> We're retraining as we speak. It's weird. I think that's the other thing of that interview, it came, at this point of I think a lot of artists feeling so low about live music like it's like it felt like a people just did get really cross because they were already cross like you say they were really feeling what do I do and it wasn't like a I don't understand streaming like that whole kind of I don't understand streaming I'm just going to rag it people were just people were across there cross about is that they worrying about paying their bills and keeping their house and surviving it, 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 it fundamentally didn't understand the artists already, one of the things that an artist does fundamentally is quality control, right? And if we released every piece of shit that we wrote, nobody would like us, Daniel, right? For every good one we do, there's 20 shit ones that we put in the bin. We work furiously hard. I would argue that some people have put them out too, to be honest, if we had a well. You, you, no, you, you've got to save those for the box set. 
have yeah, you? Yeah, like 40 years time, time, suddenly that's exciting. Exactly, like yeah, of... these, these, these chestnuts. And the, 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 it, it, it's just ridiculous. He, he fundamentally doesn't understand how music gets made. And the man's been running a music company for how long? That's what was outrageous about it. It was stupid, it was thick-headed, it was tone-deaf, it was ridiculous. The man desperately needs a musician on his board. He hasn't got a clue. It's like, it's like, mate, this, that's just not how musicians work. It's not how they think. It's not, you're mad. You're actually mad. If we put, if, I was joking, we, me and Guy Garvey were joking about it. We were going, like, well, like, what we'll do is we'll record an album of 600 tracks, and the only lyric we'll use is <laughs> Baby, and we'll cut, it'll, be a, it'll be a 60 album set, and it's going to be called Daniel X Wet Dream. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll release it onto Spotify because that'll be great, wouldn't it? Having 600 tracks of me and Guy Garvey shouting baby, 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 baby for several hours. Because that's what the world needs, Daniel. Just needs more air filled with noise because content is king. Wow. I think we know what's on these. <laughs> <laughs> you need to just choose the good tracks from the baby sessions. <laughs> Yeah. But in a way, like, is some of this, some of this, like, is some of this about releasing rolling creativity? Like, if you've got an album, like what Sam says, you've got an album of twelve tracks, you can release one a month over a year. And it's, I mean, I think it's with, if you, especially if you're if you're one of the young people, you're on TikTok and Instagram, and you're you are continuously in contact with your fans. Like, some of this stuff maybe is is like how do you release the music rather than how do you create it? And some of it maybe is organic stuff you do if you're into those platforms, and if you're not that's where I worry that the artists I love who aren't who aren't that isn't their passion that is a cycle but yeah, they but still like, make wonderful music that's I, where I worry I, I've not spoken to a single young artist right I, I, I'd love to meet one because it'd be great to meet one who this isn't the problem right where they're like all of this social media in, engagement is making me insane and my mental health is deteriorating at a rate of knots and it's making me miserable and uh the record company is having to pay a psychiatrist because I'm doing this all day long, every single day. It's, you know, that, I'm sorry, Daniel, but like it, your model is making people sick. Don't, it doesn't help. It's not, it's not really how we should experience it or engage with it. So find a way, do your, do your homework so that there's a better way for people because it, this isn't, you know, this isn't it. It's not like, well, we need to be able to be able to jam it on a new music playlist and therefore it will engage people. That isn't how, you know, we need to engage people. We need to engage people by doing something brilliant. That's how we should engage people. This kind of brings us back to the beginning of why Broken Record Campaign is like a holistic thing. Because, so now we're in a situation where live has gone, we don't, it will come back, but we don't know when that is. So we can't plan our releases. And it's, <laughs> it was always hard to, to find or grow a fan base as a new artist. You know, thought slots like Gold Dust, Spot Plays on BBC Six, how like Gold Dust, so much competition. And now you don't even have that sure traditional way of at least getting 10 20 people at a time at shows throughout this pandemic so everyone sort of the, the most inquiries we get at the fac are should i pay this person three thousand pounds to get my song on spotify playlists 
and just to which we say, please don't, no. The answer to that should usually always be no. If there's <laughs> anyone watching who's, who's wondering, fucking charlatans, carry on. <laughs> and just the question, how, how do I grow a fan base now that we can't do that one thing that was kind of still working for some people? So it's just a very, something has to, something has to happen. That makes sense. And we, we've actually got a system because there were three of us asking questions of we, me we message her saying who's going to ask what. And I've got both of the others now shouting, leaky pipes, black box at me in all caps. So I'm going to do that question. I probably, I was supposed to ask. Spoiling the back. magic there, showing how the sausage is made. Well, you know, I think transparency is, is the watchword of the industry. I mean, this idea of, we're talking about like the money being paid out, money being out. And one of the things I think that's come up a lot in this DC Myth Inquiry is this idea of there is money in the system that isn't getting even paid out, let alone unfairly paid out. What are the issues around that, I think, in terms of how we find out what it is, where it is, who it's going to? And is that going to be a big part of solving this, like finding the, the money that is there that, that could be being paid to artists? Um, yeah. Should I, yeah, should I pick? I mean, it's... It... Yes, <laughs> is the answer. Because I just think that we have to, you have to get to the bottom of those, those licensing deals, um, effectively, that we, we're told, okay, so there's a thing called breakage, where um, record labels get overpaid by streaming services um, on a monthly basis because there's because they they, they the, the streaming service overcalculate how many streams that label is going to get at the beginning of the month and at the end of the month they haven't got it but the the record label has been overpaid now we we're, we're constantly being told oh you know breakages is down to almost nothing now it's not really there but then i hear another tale of oh actually they're still making <laughs> Millions and millions from it. So um, you, you never really know. And because none of us know, and because none of them will come clean with us, and we have to just work on hearsay, we, um, we're left in the dark there. And of course that money, breakage, it, it's not as, it's money completely unassociated with a play on a streaming service. So it can just, the record company can just keep it. And then on the publishing side, we have all of this, um, money that gets paid through that we just don't know whose work it is because the registration is wrong and the data is wrong the metadata as it's known that's that, that's written that along with the track isn't there it doesn't no one's ever done anything legally to make sure that the recording and the copyright uh stick together properly so they speak to each other the systems are incredibly antiquated and horrendous. I don't know if anybody's had the joy of looking at any of the systems that any of the record companies or CMOs use, but pretty scary. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and, and, yeah. and um, so what happens is all this money lands in, in this, uh, in this, in this uh, what we call the black box. And it, unless no one, someone makes a claim on it within a period of time set out within the statute of limitations, um, if no one comes and gets it, then it, it, we have to find a way of distributing it. And the way the record, the, the music industry has found for distributing money at all times is to just give it to the biggest people in the room, 
with the most power. Which sounds really fair, however you want to look at it. Sounds like the fairest way, you know. Obviously, it must be the case, right? Because like Universal makes 30% of all the money in the music business. So if there's all this cash here, and we don't know whose it is, 30% of it is probably Universal's, isn't it? I mean, because Universal don't know how to write an ISRC code on one of their works. They don't know how to, to, to properly, like, write metadata into their work. So that money that we don't know who that belongs to is probably... Must be theirs. Must be theirs. It, it, um, this is a huge issue, though. So, I mean, we're, and I, I know it's it's been coming up for years, and I I know it's going to come up over the next couple of weeks and months because it is a real issue from from everyone's side that there is a huge, huge pot of money, not not disclosed amount, but we know it's shitloads. I think I can technically say In technical terms, shit, yeah, <clears throat> shitloads that that gets paid out on market share, which. Is, is mad and we all know that there's technology there but then there's, there's also i was having a discussion with a, a manager last week before they said they've been going through a statement and they just just this where are we now october 2020 just received some money for some streams in 2015 and that's from an international uh in a collection site so even even when even when stuff is being paid through it could take five years to come through and there's there's a serious problem there isn't there and i think it's important when we do look at how broken some of this system is that actually it'd be a brilliant thing if we can pump more money in but if that pipe's still leaking it's actually that that's still detrimental also so we do need different sides of the industry to take some responsibility and everyone's always with the finger pointing like we've said on this before i feel like you need all the fingers to point at people because every, everyone wants to... And, and it's not like we're moving in the right direction here, Sammy. The MLC in America basically looks like it's being set up to be an even worse black box situation than we had before. It's like, great, hooray, let's, let's, let's keep moving in the wrong direction on this. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, but that, that, it's this thing like streaming services would love to be able to just do a blanket license so they don't actually have to provide any data so that we could share out all of the money in the system based on a market share basis. Because that would be great for artists, wouldn't it? We could just go, oh, what? It's probably Elton John's, isn't it? It's probably Elton. We'll just give it all to Elton. Um, because that's worth What if they got so a blanket well? license and then did user-centric? That one fell swoop. Like, we're going to have a blanket license and we're going to pay it out to only the stuff that it was listened to. And yeah. we're going to build our own database. Like that's, maybe that's the dream that the politicians Well, I, 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 I think blanket license is a disaster for artists. So it's, 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 it, and it's, it's, it's because, because what happens in blankets is across the board is that then you have to, you can never get all of the data. So you have to come up with analogous models and nobody can get that right because everybody on some level is incompetent. And, and you end up, you know, giving money to people, you're not really sure it's theirs, but you're giving it to them anyway. You know, it, these, are, these are all, it's incredible the decisions that CMOs have to make because we don't know where the money's coming from necessarily because, for instance, a broadcaster hasn't supplied the accompanying data with their blanket or they've only supplied half of it or they've done, you know, you, you just... You, there's no like happy solution to this where you, you suddenly, unless you do something legal and kind of go, you know what, you all have to meet this data standard. 
Yeah, by the way. I think that's what's needed is a minimum viable data standard across everything. But also at the moment, if there is an issue, there's actually not that many routes with the CMO to complain or audit or track complaints, which is also fucked. In a slightly more positive note, um, we have companies like AWOL um, saying that they have artists making over £100,000 a year. So what, what do you both make of that? Are, are you... Are you happy that there is some positivity and that there is a potential way out of this, that there are good deals there that people can do? What, what, what do you both think of, of those sort of statements? And that they're not the only ones saying it, so we know it's, it's happening in a few places. I would firstly say that my immediate reaction is to say, well, that that says a lot about the type of artists and what genre they sit in that AWOL has consciously sort of gone after. And what they focused on it's mostly artists who for whom that model does work better um also they've done a really they've they've played an important role for artists who who have either been dropped or whose like whose contracts has ended with a major label who've already had all that investment who already have that fan base and who are now finally in control and then use something like AWOL that allows them to um, keep their rights and 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 be more in control just to say something a little positive about the, the the former topic it's not all bad there is some progress as in it's shockingly recent that at least we have machines now in clubs that actually track what songs are being played and, and there is only 15 uh, years overdue round of applause to the <laughs> yeah. no, but you know silver things um and there are a lot of startups as well and a lot of people trying to work really hard in in improving that space um I mean, we only we only even found out how bad that situation is because it never used to matter. Like it was always that inefficient. It's just now all our other revenue streams have dropped off. So now we're dependent on our PRS and PPL checks. And now we look at them and go like, oh, hang on a minute, why is this not working either? So even like on my last PRS check, it's for like live royalties as well. There are, it takes, even for UK shows, so not even internationally where everyone sort of holds on to the money for as long as possible, but even for UK shows, it can sometimes take four or five years, even on the small pubs and club schemes, for a simple payment to get through to me. And already when I book a tour across Europe, some promoters will want to decrease the fee because they say, well, but bear in mind, you'll also get like a royalty pay for this gig. And it's just... So, I mean, at least the attention is on this now because this has always been an issue. Is that a positive? I meant for that to be a positive. Well, I guess, I mean, we're probably having to sort of wrap up in a moment, but I did want to ask one final question, which was looking for the positive. And I guess the things we talked about, like there, there is going to be this inquiry. And I know, Tom, you've been already on Twitter. You weren't like winning the inquiry wasn't the end of it. You've been on saying we're going to get everyone to put their voices in, submit their stuff, get the people heard. So there's there's that happening. There's this chance to have this stuff talked about. Um, like the PROs have got boards of performers and songwriters, and you're both on these boards, and you're you're able to kind of advocate in there. I mean, do you both feel positive about what's potentially possible in fixing the stuff and getting musicians, um, getting musicians paid, but also getting musicians to feel like like 
it, it, it's not, it sounds like it's not hopeless, which would be a marvelous thing, but how, how are you feeling about what we could see in the next year in terms of stepping forward in the right way on this? Um, the, the, there's always an opportunity to do things better, you know, it's called progress. Simple as that. It's, it's just an opportunity. You know, the problem we've got is there's companies and look, people who work for major labels aren't bad people. Some of them are, but they're not bad people. And, and they, they just answer to their shareholders. That's the only people that they answer to, right? So they can't do anything which actively decreases the value of their company to their shareholders, or they'd lose their jobs, right? So we know they can't sort it out. They've got themselves into too good of a position, which is exploiting our work too well for them, right? And they can't let it go because it makes too much money for their shareholders. So they, you know, that's a problem because so, so they obviously need somebody else to come along and go, well, we have to change this, I'm afraid. And then their shareholders won't blame them, right? Which is one reason why governments have to be involved in these kinds of things. And then, you know, same with the, the, the streaming services. The streaming services have just work on this venture system. They don't seemingly care at all about profit which is a very unfortunate thing built cooked into a system where, which is this, which, which sets the value of all the music in the world. Um, because, you know, market economics don't work in a system where companies don't seek profit. Um, uh, and I know that, and I only did GCSE economics. Um, um, the, so, so, the, the, so that's a problem and we have to address it and we could make it better. We could say you're not, you, you know, you, you know, you've got to get to profitability at some point. We should say to their investors, which is what I've been trying to do as well, is is talk to investment companies and saying, "What are you doing here, guys? Come on, give them a prod. These guys could be turning you a massive profit. What? Why aren't? Why aren't they? You know, why don't you call in that money you've been sticking in them for years instead of just watching your share value go up?" Go and ask them for a profit now. It's about call time on this nonsense. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I'm, 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 I'm not hopeful because we've been in this same situation forever, as far as I can tell. But am I willing, are, are, are there enough people who are willing to try and shake the tree? Yeah, there's a lot of us. And, and are they good people? I think so. So, um, yes, I'm, 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 I'm a happy soldier, but I'm not hopeful. Is that a good way of putting it? Oh, there we go. I was asking uh, and, we'd end on a positive note. Yeah, well, Roxanne, actually, <laughs> pressure's on you now to end positive. But I mean, I came to your conference and it was a room full of independent artists who actually were all talking up positively about what they were doing and how they doing it. And they were sharing ideas and it felt like a super positive kind. It wasn't everyone just gathering going, oh my God, we're all... In trouble. So, from your point of view, when you when you think about artists, how are you feeling? Like, do you feel hope? Do you have? Can you sort of add some hope in to, to Tom's kind of? <laughs> Am I being bleak? Am I being bleak? Really? I, I, I don't feel like I'm bleak. I'm doing it with a smile. If I do, if I smile, does it not make it less bleak? <laughs> Makes it. Bleak. Sorry, Roxanne. Answer that question. I apologize. Oh no, fine. Uh, you're you're. Bleakness is welcome here. Um, it always makes me really happy, that room full of artists. There is a really special energy there and I'm, I'm really happy that I, I was able to 
help create that thing. But yes, I am, I am hopeful. One of the reasons I'm hopeful is that I'm on a board. Like I'm a board director and I still can't really say that without making a joke or sort of saying it in a wacky way because it's, it's really new that we as artists, as women are on these boards actually being a part of a conversation. And yes, it's about time, should have happened a long time ago, but that's a really great thing. And this year has been so interesting for so many reasons, but I've had so much positive experience and people, people are reaching out, supporting each other, and we're having these conversations. We have time to have these conversations. This is the first time in six or seven years that I've been in one place for longer than two months. Um, it's weird, but it's, it's been amazing to have a moment to breathe, to actually look at the situation. And so many people have sprung into action to try and help, whether that's help musicians or whether that's PPL or even Spotify, you know, to some degree, everyone has had a good intention and has tried to do a good thing. Um, now, I think historically music industry has been really bad in sort of presenting one united voice. So I fear that it's going to be a challenge to, to just ask them to do one thing. But I think that's what we really have to do. I think it's, it's really, really important that we get all our like, ducks in a row and, and really use this, this moment well. And I think if we do that, then, then yeah, a little optimistic. I didn't mean to squash down on like bleakness as well, because like the, both of your both of the things you're saying, this full spectrum is important. So yeah, I'm not sort of I'm not telling anyone to cheer up. I'm very happy, Stuart. I'm very happy. Don't, don't, <laughs> I'm a very content person. Don't don't mistake my lack of hope for for, 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 for <laughs> an inner an inner bitter dark kind of like. No, we wouldn't. Tom, we wouldn't do that. But just on that, before we we close this out, but. That for me feels like a really important thing over the coming weeks, months and years that actually I know everything, we're, we're, lots of us on here are, are on boards, that there are, every sector of our industry and every different group of our industry has one thing in their mind that they would like to change. But actually it's probably worth people trying to align on the things that we can all agree on that could force some change rather than fighting out in public, especially all the shit that we probably can't just yet and actually trying to find some, some common ground between different groups, between different sectors, to find something that is achievable, that we can go through the government, even if it just opens a door, so that we can then go and do something else. Because that, that's my, my hope and my fear, is that that may not happen. And I, ho I really do hope that people can, can align somewhere. But um, I mean, we've gone way over today, I think. Well, no, so, but I, mean, so I was, I was going to say, I mean, I think that's most of it, really, which is that... Um, I mean, we were taken aback by the DCMS mic drop. We immediately wanted to get the people who were kind of responsible for it. So it's a genuine privilege having you guys um, on our humble pod. It's a young thing and it's growing, but it's a huge privilege having with you. And then more, most importantly, actually, what we always wanted to do as a Zoom with a view was actually to replicate the kind of conversations that Sammy, Stu and I have in the open. And actually having all of these things that we, I've had them with you, Tom, I've had them with you, Roxanne, separately as well. How do we get these things out to the open? And the DCMS inquiry, if anything, 
we'll get some of these things out in the open and actually it'll be fascinating to see what happens to these things when the light hits it but i have to say a massive massive thanks to roxanne debastian and to mr tom gray we are going to watch this very carefully and yes you will be coming back when we see exactly what damage you, sorry what good you've done with this broken record campaign thanks guys Thank you.